Welcome to RNFM Radio, Nursing Unleashed. We're your hosts, Kevin Ross and Keith Carlson, and we bring you inspiring interviews with a wide array of nursing experts, innovators, and entrepreneurs. We're glad you're here. So welcome and enjoy the show. everyone and welcome to another another episode of RNFM radio this is your host Keith Carlson also known as nurse Keith from my my studio here in Santa Fe New Mexico and unfortunately our other co-host the wonderful and innovative Kevin Ross will not be with us tonight Kevin has shared with us on the show before that his mom has been in hospice and he needs to be with his family right now so Kevin sends his regrets he'll probably be listening to the show an archived version and all of our thoughts go out to Kevin and to his family and his mom as they move through this transitional time so our best to Kevin and the whole family out there in Denver, Colorado. Anyway, again, my name is Keith Carlson, Nurse Keith, and I'm here on RNFM Radio for our 51st episode. Many of you might have been tuned in last week for our 50th anniversary episode celebration with eight incredible guests. We hope you were there. If not, we know a lot of you have listened. There's been over 1,500 archive listens to the show. So we know that that particular episode has really hit a nerve and a lot of people are getting out of listen. So we welcome you to go to the website and listen into that episode. It was really an incredible string of conversations that we highly recommend checking out. Anyway, tonight we want to let you know that Nurse Friendly, our friend Andrew Lopez, who was actually on the show last week for the 50th episode anniversary, he is staffing the tweet chat tonight because Kevin's not here and I can't post the show and do the tweet chat. So he's over there at tweetchat.com slash room slash RNFM radio. And if you'd like to join Andrew in the tweet chat, Please do, and we'll be discussing any issues of interest to you and and issues pertaining to this evening's show specifically. And if you're not using TweetChat and you'd like to use regular old Twitter or one of those Twitter aggregators, just make sure you put hashtag RNFM Radio. That's pound RNFM Radio in any of your tweets, and Andrew will be sure to see them and respond to you if you have something to say or a comment or a question. And, of course, you can always find us on iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store, click on podcast, and type in RNFM Radio, all one word, and you will find all of our episodes, every single episode available as a free downloadable podcast for your listening pleasure. And, of course, we're over at our friend's website with promednetwork.com. ProMed Network is so nice to host our show. That's at promednetwork.com. Network.com slash RNFM radio. Gosh, I wish Kevin was here. I'm tongue tied tonight. 
But our friends at ProMed Network are so wonderful, and we really appreciate their support in having our shows streamed on their website. Just wanted to let you know that because I'm alone here in the studio tonight and Kevin's not here, I will not be accepting incoming calls because I can't monitor the switchboard while talking with our wonderful guest this evening. So if you do have a question or a comment, that'll definitely need to go through TweetChat or Twitter because I won't be able to answer any calls coming in. At the end of the show, I'll give you a roundup of some incredible upcoming guests. And we will uh, do a little discussion at the end just to wrap up when we finish with this evening's guest. So speaking of our guest this evening, her name is Linda Peacock. She has an RN, BSN, and MBA. She's currently an infusion account manager for a global biotech company. Linda's role is educating healthcare professionals in hospitals, infusion centers, and offices in a large territory in the Northeast United States. An accomplished health management professional with extensive clinical expertise within the hospital, specialty pharmacy, pharmaceutical, and biotech industries, Linda's career spans several decades and includes 17 years at Albany Medical College and nine years as an assistant executive director of a regional hemophilia center. She's been very successful in many roles in the pharmaceutical industry, including her current company. She received her RN in 1992 after many years as a nurse's aide in LPN. In 94, she received her BSN at Regents College, which is now known as Excelsior College, by the way. In 1999, she was awarded an MBA by the State University of New York at Albany. During her educational quest, as well as her professional path, she supported her three sons as a single mother, and currently she and her husband reside in upstate New York. You can find her on Twitter at at Road Warrior RN. That is at Road Warrior RN. So, Linda Peacock, welcome to RNFM Radio. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Keith. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's a really a pleasure to have you here. So, thank you for taking the time. I know it's later on the East Coast, and we always appreciate East Coast guests who are willing to stay up a little later for us. <laughs> <laughs> so, I. I did mention a little about your clinical experience, which is pretty extensive. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that or just to tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Well, um, I think probably just quickly that my the challenges were um, financial, uh, lack of um, support while I was going for my education until I married my wonderful husband. Um, my children are teenagers and certainly concerned with their own lives. So all of those challenges um, felt like it was a climb up a, a difficult ladder, and I know that I'm not alone in that. I think many of many of single moms are trying to further their career while working full-time. Right, exactly. I, you, you might be familiar with Carol Gino. She's been on our show a couple times, and her book, The Nurse's Story, from the 1990s, chronicles her time as a single mom after she was divorced from her first husband and the, the difficulties and challenges of being a single mother trying to forge a new career as a nurse. Mm-hmm. True, yeah. Right. So you understand that challenge, and how long have you and your current husband been married? We've been married happily for about 17 and a half years. Oh, congratulations. And I'm assuming all your sons now are are adults and they're all out of the nest? That's correct, yes. It makes it a little bit easier to be on the road and, and do my current job. Right. Um, which right. comes to large territory. Mm-hmm. Now, 
you've had a great deal of experience as a nurse. You've been a nurse since 1992, isn't it? So you've been a nurse for... Probably longer than that. I think I've been a nurse about 43 years, actually. Okay, if you count all the other experiences prior to getting your your bachelor's. So in that during that time, all of this experience that you accumulated, what caused you to start looking towards biotech and the pharmaceutical industry as a career path? I'm really curious. Mm. It, it actually started out when I was in the hemophilia center. I actually learned more from the pharmaceutical representatives than I did from my physicians because they were too busy taking care of patients. really didn't have time, a lot of time to educate me. So I learned a lot from them and thought that I would kind of like to be on the other side of the table. They seem to be more uh, knowledgeable, more affluent, I have to say. <laughs> three boys going to college, I was I was thinking I was going to be in poverty the rest of my life. Okay. So that was really the, mo- the initial motivator. Plus, I we had lost many members of our hemophilia community, young men, to HIV and AIDS, and um, I burned out from that career. After nine years, right. So, I'm sorry. So, in the hemophilia center, you were working directly with a lot of clients who were living with HIV and AIDS. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this was in the 80s or the 90s? 90s. In the 80s, 80s they were diagnosed. In the 90s is when a lot of them passed away. In their early 20s, teenagers, early. Right. And I'm assuming that was really challenging for you because you had three boys yourself. So that must have been had a very personal aspect to it, watching all these young men meet meet their very untimely demise. Well, when you're with hemophilia, you are part of the community. I was right next to the caskets with the moms. Um, It was like they were my own children. Like you said, it was very personal. Very personal, and I and I threw myself into my career, so they were my boys. <laughs> mm, right. Yeah. So when you saw that the pharmaceutical industry and or the biotech industry were a possibility for you to actually make a good living and actually do very interesting work, and I'm mm-hmm. assuming very intellectually and clinically challenging work, how did you find your way into that? Industry. I think a lot of us nurses don't really know. You know, how would you, how would you enter that industry, and and how would you even make your first inroad? What I did was I looked actually at a contract company. I, I actually found an ad in the paper, and I said to my husband at the time um, that I thought that was a pharmaceutical company. It was a, asking for an asthma nurse educator, and he he did he did, he was my the person that encouraged me the most in everything. And I, so I applied to the, to the ad, and it, it certainly was um, a contract company who worked with Sharing Cloud Pharmaceuticals, and I got hired immediately. The challenge was I was so, I was 17 years at Albany Med, and um, so ingrained and, I would say, loyal to my hospital, it was difficult to leave. I didn't do it easily. But I just needed to do something for me. I think that's what a lot of nurses do is we sacrifice so much for other people that we sort of forget about ourselves and our own, you know, desires to to do, move in a different direction, I would say. 
Mm. But I took I took the chance. It was a chance because in contract companies, you are either contracted for a year, and after that year, you either are offered a, a position within the pharmaceutical company, or you lose the contract and you don't have a job, or you maybe get you know go on to another contract. So that was my way into um, sharing cloud pharmaceuticals, and I actually worked three months as a contract nurse and was hired by sharing cloud pharmaceuticals, which was my mm. first pharmaceutical position. I Very see. exciting. Now when you say when you say a contract company, is this like a headhunter company who's looking for nurses and clinicians specifically for this industry? Um actually they usually contract with the pharmaceutical company to put, to supply them with either a field force or or a nursing force. For example, my current company has contracted with a group of nurses, nurse educators. And so they go out and they teach injections to patients. And they, they basically have a contract, and it's a finite contract. So it's one, two years, sometimes three. Um, it's a little bit shaky, but it, it is a, a an entrance into the, to the business. I see. Now, if a nurse, say, today, right now, listening to the show, decided he or she wanted to make an inroad into this particular specialty field, would he or she contact one of these contract companies, or would they go directly to a pharmaceutical company or a biotech? No, they would con- they would go to the contract company um, and ask, I'm trying to bring up my resume because I can't remember the name of the company, it was Innovex who I was contracted with, but there's many of them out there. Um, and you basically look on their website for employment opportunities. And sometimes mm. they will advertise. I know currently in my own area right now they're advertising for nurse educators. Um, I believe Ashfield is another company that hires contract nurses. I see. Now, my brother works, he used to work for Big Pharma. He worked for Bristol-Myers Squibb, and mm-hmm. he's been in the industry for a long time. He now works for a very successful medium size, I guess you'd say, biotech in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Now, do these contract companies also help nurses get jobs with these smaller firms, these smaller biotechs like the kind my brother works for? Yes. They do. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And, and what, what it is is the company feels that, the, the pharmaceutical company feels that it's just not, for some reason, um, they're not hiring the force themselves. They don't want to manage it. They don't want to hire the force themselves. So they're looking to the contract company to manage that field force. I see. It's a, it's a partnership. It's a partnership, for sure. Right. And I imagine there might be smaller biotech companies out there, the real startups that are really small, say with staff less than 50 or 25 people, who might do the hiring themselves rather than farming it out to a uh, to a contract company. Right. Or if they want a trained field force, immediately they may hire a contract company to to do that i see to be the field okay. force because they don't have the, the the manpower to to do, you know develop and train and um the field force themselves okay okay that makes okay. sense mm-hmm. now at at this time in history the pharmaceutical industry is huge, of course. We all, you know, those of us who have television see the ads. If you don't see the ads, like I don't, I don't have TV, but 
you see them in magazines, newspapers, you hear about it in the news. So pharmaceuticals are big, and with the aging population, it's becoming even more important as we have, you know, antibiotic-resistant bacteria. We have so many cancer treatments and all sorts of new drugs being developed for obesity and heart disease and stroke prevention and those sorts of chronic diseases and acute diseases. So do you feel like in that climate right now, historically, in the 21st century, mm-hmm. do you feel like this industry is opening up to nurses or do you feel like the opportunities are diminishing as the industry it's, appears to be consolidating on some level with the big companies? I believe it's opening its doors wide to nursing. And the reason I believe that way is that we have um, the medical skills, the clinical skills that they need and require to be able to speak to physicians, to be able to partner with physicians. And I, and I feel that more now than I did when I first started in, in pharmacy and biotech, that basically the companies are partnering with healthcare providers more than being... You know, it's not so much as going to the dark side. You feel really like you are contributing to the the optimal health of a certain specialty disease. And it's exciting because in the United States, you know, we have such drug development that, you know, we are prolonging life. We are, um, and it's not perfect, certainly not. Um, it's, you know, you hear all the side effects that these drugs have um, with you know, on the television, et cetera. But the, the movement, the positive movement that we have, every time we uncover a new protein or a new um, pharmaceutical agent or biotech agent, is just so exciting and it saves lives. It really, mm-hmm. and improves quality of life. And that's what I get excited about. I'm really excited about the, the movement of um, these scientists are just discovering phenomenal proteins and with the genetic mapping that's been available lately, we can, um, it's just innovative. I don't e- I can't even speak to it all <laughs> because it's beyond me, but it of opens course. doors to nursing. It does open doors to nursing in many, many respects. That's great to hear. Now, for nurses who get into this field, I'm assuming that there are various tasks for nurses within biotech and pharmaceutical. I've known a few nurses who've gone on to become uh, pharmaceutical reps because they have the chemistry background and the they have that rapport they can have with clinicians, with physicians to talk about a medication, the side effect profile, et cetera, et cetera. But I know that that's not what you do and you do education. So could you outline a couple of the main tasks or or paths within this specialty area of nursing where a nurse might go? Well, my personal job is I, um, we have a risk, it's called a risk map um, biotech agent that has severe side effects to it, but it does improve the quality of life of many patients, not for everyone. But my role is to really make sure that the nurse, who may not be um, a, a nurse in the disease entity that I'm in. I'm, I'm trying to avoid saying what I'm in, but just because I haven't gotten sanctioned from my company to speak, so I'm kind of avoiding that. But if she's, for example, an oncology nurse and doesn't work in my 
my arena, she may be not even aware of what disease I work with or what what it's all about. So I teach about disease. I teach about the mechanism of action. How does this drug work? Or how does this biotech agent work? Um, and, and, and what are the side effects of it? What are the risks? And why do I have to follow these certain rules? So there's several rules that the infusion nurses must follow, and it's very cumbersome for them. Because as you know, when you're a busy, busy nurse and you're already doing EMRs and you're doing charting and you're keeping track of your patients, you just don't want to do something else. And that's what I'm asking them to do, is to do additional work. And so my role is to partner with these nurses to be their resource for education. So if they have a problem, they know who to call, and I can give them a ready, you know, an answer very quickly. Or I'll be out there to help them kind of figure out their problem. So that's where I... That's what I do, and I cover a very large territory. I'm on the road at least three to four days a week, if not more, depending on the demands of the of the territory. I manage my own life so that I sort of have a work-life balance that is beyond any bedside nurse that I know of. <laughs> I work sometimes long hours. I may start out at 7 a.m. in the morning so that I can catch the nurses before they start their day and, and do a breakfast and educate them, and I may go right into, you know, dinner at night. But then again, the next day I may be home um, and doing um, calendar work or setting up and following up on the work that I did for the week. Right. I find myself hoping that you have a company car. I do. (laughs) That's another plus for sure. (laughs) Yeah, and I can drive it personally. I can drive it personally, too. That's what's kind of exciting about that, too. All right, so company car. I'm, I'm picturing a company laptop, a uh, company smartphone, right? I have an I have an iPad. Okay. I, yes, yes. Uh, so I think it's important to remain um, technologically savvy, mm-hmm. even as we, we nurses age, and there's a lot of us in my age group. But in order to keep on top of everything, you really need to to be able to tweet and to be able to use your iPad and you know, be able to communicate in a different way than mm. I do often sometimes do um, webcasts. If I can't physically get to where I'm going, we'll have a webcast and be able to um, to speak to my presentation that way. Oh, like but, if there's a blizzard, for instance. Correct. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which we had recently out here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The Northeast just got hit really hard. I won't say where you live, but there's, you know, <laughs> You you get a lot of snow out there, and you're on the road, you said, four days a week. So I'm assuming that you run into a lot of weather and traffic problems, and you probably have to juggle a lot of things to make your work happen. You do. You do. Yeah. 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 And you're, the way you described it, your job is educating clinicians. So you're working directly with nurses and clinicians in the clinical setting. I do, as well as physicians. Um, mm-hmm. Some physicians, nurse practitioners, and and infusion nurses, as okay. well as admi- as well as administrative people. So all sure. levels. Sure, because the administrative people need to be on board with what's happening clinically in the facility. Not that they learn the actual skills, but they need to really understand what's happening. Well, they need, they're gatekeepers. We call them gatekeepers, and in order to get through to the nurses, I need to be able to you know have have a relationship with that administrative person at the front desk. Sure, of course. Now, I'm also 
curious, and I'm assuming you'll say yes, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. A lot of pharmaceutical companies and biotechs obviously have to conduct clinical studies. So they need to screen potential participants in the clinical study. They need to monitor them on an ongoing basis, sometimes I'm assuming for over long periods of time. So how do nurses who work in the industry interface with, one, the participants in the clinical study, you know, the lay people who are actually receiving the drug that's being tested, and how do they interface with the folks back in the laboratory to communicate the information they're gleaning from those assessments? Well, usually there are very strict rules if they're involved in a clinical study, and, and nurses that do that are called clinical research associates. I've known people who've owned their own companies and, again, contract to pharmaceutical companies um, to be able to monitor clinical studies. They're, they're usually, um, and I haven't been actually around anybody who's done that in about 12 years, so I'm sure that they're much more automated than what I remember. But there was a lot of paperwork, a lot of paperwork involved. And, of course, you have to get permission from the patient first, um, and that's the most important thing. Usually the, the clinical nurse or the office nurse, they'll get the initial permission. And then the clinical research associate will go in and conduct um, with the physicians, usually either in an office setting or a medical center setting, the, the said research, and then follow up by communicating that back to a database usually. And then the um, physicians who are in charge of the study will compile the data. And actually there's data people that help do that also to make sure it has a proper p-value and that it's um, a proven research, whatever you're mm. looking at. Uh-huh. It's right. very strictly controlled. I was involved wow. with CDC when I was in the hemophilia with a couple of the studies. So that certainly is a way to, a pathway to get into a pharmaceutical company, a clinical research associate. There's also, you know, quality assurance people. There's uh, medical science liaison is another interesting role that I thought I wanted to get into, um, and I haven't had the opportunity to to capture that role yet, but... Um, it's very intriguing to me. Usually you have to have a very advanced degree to get into that. MBA is not considered one of those. A PhD or a PharmD is usually um, what they consider medical science liaison. But there's a medical science nurse liaison in many companies who actually inter- interacts with um, key opinion leader nursing as opposed to key opinion leader physicians. So that's another exciting course for a a nurse to pursue if she'd like to with a pharmaceutical company. I see. So some of these positions require quite the elevated level of of advanced practice to be able to take those positions on. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Right. So some of the nurses you mentioned earlier on, there are nurses who actually own their own companies, and what they do is actually provide nurses to to run studies or be part of studies for companies? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I'd never really considered that. So there are nurse-run mm-hmm. companies, then, and that's really what they do. They supply the workforce for this particular, this particular um, process that the pharmaceutical companies need to engage in. Yeah, they're called CRAs, Clinical Research Associates. 
and okay. they're senior, senior clinical research associates. It's very, if you're new and you haven't done anything like that before, it's very tough to get into. They usually want experienced nurses. So if you have an opportunity, for example, when I was at Albany Medical College, I had the opportunity to work alongside and do research. Um, so if you can actually get into that role within your hospital and then you can actually branch out and think of it as maybe an entrepreneur opportunity or, um, you know, if that's the direction you'd like to take, there are certainly avenues outside of a hospital setting to do that. Mm. And are there trade organizations or either formal or informal groups of nurses involved in the pharmaceutical and biotech world who communicate with each other? Are there certain channels where those nurses, uh, for lack of a better word, where they congregate and communicate? <laughs> well, we were talking about that earlier uh, before the program. And actually, right. um, we were not able to identify um, our nursing colleagues within our comp- current company. And so that's my initiative. As a chairperson, I'm actually, I've identified 60 um, people with nursing backgrounds. In fact, they'll usually reach out to me and say, I'm not nursing anymore. Well, none of us are really nursing, bedside nursing anymore. But we have a nursing background, and we're actually trying to elevate the value of that background, as well as really support each other um, within the company. So we're, we're getting formalized under our global initiative, uh, global diversity uh, group within the company. Again, we've identified 60 of us, and we're in varying roles throughout the company, and we're actually going to partner, hopefully, with um, a New England um, medical center institution that has nursing, uh, actually NP and PhD courses. So we may bring interns into our biotech world, and we may actually send students to them. I'm hoping to be a PhD candidate at some point. So this is exciting to me personally. Wow, that's um, a great plan. That's very exciting. Well, that's the other thing with getting into a corporation as opposed to a hospital is that um, they will support your education so financially, which that's a motivator for sure. Because I didn't have that for my MBA. I'm still paying for my MBA. <laughs> oh, gosh, right. <laughs> But do, you, do you hope to get another master's on your way to the Ph.D.? Are you going to do one of the tracks where you earn both kind of at the same time? I don't think so. Not at okay. this point. I'm not thinking that. Um, okay. Probably because of my age. <laughs> I just want to be able to, you know, to do my Ph.D. That, that in itself is going to be challenging while working full time. And spending, I can only spending imagine. a little time with my family. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, for, for for a nurse in your position where you're in this industry and you're well-known and you're you're well-positioned and you know where you are and you kind of understand the, the landscape of this particular industry, mm-hmm. um, what kind of PhD would you be looking for and where would that take you? You know, what, what's the... What's the goal once you earn a doctorate? Where will that bring you, or what level would you aspire to beyond where you are now? Probably teaching um, nurses would be probably my my uh, goal in my um, future age. <laughs> I would love to teach. And, and I actually, because my passion is hemophilia, I probably will, will do something in that arena. Is I don't have anything really defined yet, so I'm not quite sure. But it'll probably be 
it's going to be a blend of business and nursing, which I've already chosen as a path um, because I believe that there's a disconnect there. I believe that when I first started with my MBA, that we needed I needed to make myself more marketable. Right. I didn't think I wanted to be an NP because I was scared I was going to kill somebody. Just worrying about, <laughs> just worrying about that. I said, no, 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 I don't think that's the path I want to take. Okay. But it's, been, it's been wonderful, um, you know, following this path for sure. Oh, by the way, I got this, I got this job just for my audience. At, um, I was hired at 59, and I did get this job on through Facebook, which was pretty exciting and unusual. <laughs> wow, folks, you heard it here first. So at age 59, you got this job through a, yeah. a post on a – was it a Facebook group, or was it just on a, someone's wall saying, hey, there's a job opening for you? No, it's actually somebody reached out to me from my Facebook. You know, oftentimes you'll have a friend that, you know, I want to friend you, and you don't really talk with them too much, but I had known this person like eight years beforehand. We had become Facebook friends, and when this opportunity opened up, she actually emailed me and said, would you be interested in this position? I'm like, yes. <laughs> I was working specialty pharmacy before that. My goal was to be in biotech, um, and I really was very excited about this position. It's been my dream job, and, and I've been very happy. Wow, wonderful. That's that's incredible. So for all the folks listening out there, you know, all those outlier friends on Facebook, you don't know who they are, but you know your friends and maybe you see one of their posts once in a while. You never know. There might be a job in your future with that person. That's right. That's for that's sure. Right. And a lot of people who listen to RNFM radio know that, that Kevin and I met through Twitter. First, I met Anna Morrison. She was the co-founder of RNFM Radio with the two of us. She and I met on Twitter, and then we brought Kevin in because she had met Kevin through social media, and none of us have still met face-to-face after all this time. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. Yeah, so you never it. know what can happen in the social media world. I know it takes over our lives on a certain level, but there's a lot of opportunity out there, and social media is one way that nurses are really connecting with each other. And one thing I like to do, this is just a personal note, is I like to translate some of those relationships to telephone or Skype so that we get beyond just typing to each other. So that's a nice way to broaden your social media relationships beyond just the, the typed word because it gets kind of old after a while. That's right. That's right, yeah. for sure. And it's nice yeah. to hear someone's voice or see their face and kind of have a little more level of interaction. But that's wonderful. I love the story of you finding your dream job at age 59 when you're you know, working in your this, this industry, but really knowing there's more that you want and it kind of fell into your lap or onto your wall or whatever. And there you were, and you found this incredible job that's really satisfying for you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. Speaking of satisfaction, mm-hmm. my question for you is what is really satisfying about what you do? Can you tell us what just what really floats your boat about this particular job and, and the people you meet and what you do and where you go? Well, I'm so blessed with my company um, that we really do care about our patient outcomes and and our patients are are number one with us. And that, to me, is the ultimate satisfaction, probably with every nurse. But I feel like I can absolutely change people's lives by, by enlightening the people that take care of them. 
Um, I think that sometimes the nurses can be just overrun with the amount of people that they're seeing every day or the amount of tasks that they have to do every day. And when I can say, stop, listen, really feel what you're doing and know what know what you're doing, be very knowledgeable about it um, so that you can answer your patient's questions. On a patient, you know, I, I do what I call soft science. And not that I'm insulting anybody's intelligence, but when you're going to speak to a patient, you need to be able to speak on their level. And so when I tell my story of how my drug works with, with nurses, I want them to really resonate with the story that I'm telling. I'm not going to stand up and lecture them because it will go in one ear and out the other, especially if they're sitting down because nurses don't sit down very often. They don't fall asleep on me. <laughs> so I get them excited. I really do get them excited about what they're doing and, and the importance of the work that they're doing. Um, they don't get stroked enough either, I don't think. Yeah. And do you find that being a nurse yourself, that gives you kind of an in with these nurses you you work with and who you, you train? Yeah, it definitely gives me credibility to be able to walk their walk and talk their talk. Um, they really appreciate that, and they feel very open about it. I'm usually op- very open about myself, and that usually opens doors for people to tell me, you know, their life stories or their challenges or where they'd like to go or because many people are curious about how did I get where I got? <laughs> how, how did you do what you're doing? Right. And, um, and how, can I, how can I get a company car and iPad? Yes, exactly, because nurses are not usually paid very well, especially in a hospital setting, and they're not valued. At least that's the way I felt in my institution way back when, and they may have changed. But when you are one of many, many nurses in a hospital, the, the value doesn't feel like it's, imparted by the by the institution. When you step out of that arena and you're into a um, corporate world, you are extremely valued for your nursing ability and for the person that you are. Um, plus, you're paid well. I think I tripled my pay when I left the hospital, which was important to me so that I could support my children's education as well as, as my lifestyle, <laughs> which is a very... Very. Uh, I mean, I live in a log cabin in the woods. I'm, I'm very down to earth, and um, my husband built the house with his own two hands about 30 years ago, and we're constantly mm. innovating it. But it's it's just um, to be able to share my my wealth, so to speak, with my family, and you know, be able to spread it around, so to speak. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful I, to hear. And and yeah. you had three teenage sons at the time, so. Really increasing your income significantly at that time must have really changed your life. Totally. And theirs. Yeah. Mm. I think they may be listening to this, but they, they I think, can appreciate where we were and and, and what we've become now. My, my sons are very su- successful and very happy and have solid relationships, and I have 11 grandchildren. <laughs> so. Wow. They love love babies, yeah. Right. Well, if any of your sons are out there and they're listening, and I know one of your sons is into social media, they can send a shout-out to you through Twitter if they put hashtag RNFM radio in the tweet, and we'll see it 
in the tweet chat, so they are more than welcome to send a shout-out to their mom if they'd like to do that. I know a teenager wouldn't want to do that, but I think a, a grown adult child would probably be able to do that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Right. Now, you answered one of my questions already. I wanted to ask you how nurses are valued within the industry because one of the things happening out there in the clinical world we talk with a lot of nurses who don't necessarily feel valued. They don't feel like their skills are recognized. And nursing as a profession is still struggling to gain a certain level of recognition and traction, even though we're the most trusted professionals in the United States, according, according to Gallup, 12 out of the last 13 years. Mm-hmm. So you... So you answered that question that nurses in your field are really valued because your clinical expertise is really needed. It's necessary for the pharmaceutical industry to move forward. Is that true? That's true. That's true. Um, We also put a very um, soft, hands-on approach to, you know, what's considered the dark side. (laughs) That's the only way I can put it sometimes. I mean, physicians used to say you've gone to the dark side, Linda. When, when I went to pharmaceuticals or biotech. But that's not true. Um, when you get over here, you'll see that there's very caring people on that side, and they're not always out to make the dollar. It's very expensive to bring a, a, a drug or a biotech agent through the FDA in the United States. It's very expensive to, to perform clinical trials and mm-hmm. even get an FDA approval, and you're not always going to get FDA approval even when you do all the work and spend all the money. It's, there's no guarantee there. It's a, it's a tough tough thing to do. So I think we present the soft side, the caring side, to to um, the industry itself. And I think that's important for them. I but think I, that is important. Yeah, that's a very mm-hmm. that's a good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Mhm. And I don't mean to to feminize nursing for sure, Nurse Keith, because I know there's a great many great men out there um, who do great nursing. And we actually have several male nurses in our biotech company, um, and, and they're valued just as highly as, as the females. I think the females sometimes struggle a little bit more, and I'm just saying that in general. Maybe not. Maybe it's a generalism I shouldn't put down, but um, my husband was a single parent of his children, so <laughs> I can't say that females usually take their children on, but usually that's the case, I think, in the majority of of divorce cases, the the mothers get the the children, and um, it's a challenge for sure. But I Absolutely. I do I do um, well. Obviously, we can be successful, and we can multitask. And once you have a vision and a purpose, and you know where you want to go, there's a whole world out there, and that's what you need to do. Sometimes I I see many of my friends who are still at the hospital after thirty some odd years of nursing, and it's, to me, it's discouraging. I would never have lasted there for sure that long. Well, it's a difficult road to hoe, and I know a lot of nurses do it, and one reason we have this show, one reason we exist, is because we do want nurses to see that there are other avenues, there are other places to go, whether it's entrepreneurship, which we champion a lot on the show, but also Mm -hmm. other opportunities like biotech and pharmaceutical industry, which is something we'd never considered before, but you and I connected, I think, through LinkedIn or something, and I I realized, wow, that's a whole 
area of nursing that we haven't even touched yet. And most nurses I talk to have no idea what it entails or how they would even enter the field. So I appreciate having this opportunity to learn a bit more about it. And I've learned quite a few things already in this this first portion of our conversation. And I wanted to ask another question around nurses in the field. And that's, do nurses feel that their clinical skills can remain sharp? Because I've heard from some nurses saying that if they're going to move out of the real clinical hands-on positions within the field, that they feel like they're going to lose it and they're not going to be real nurses anymore. So what would you say to nurses who feel a little queasy about that and they're not sure how to how to make that transition? Well, I agree I was with that fear for sure because I had that I had a lapse of um employment between pharma, my pharmaceutical jobs and I went back to a visiting nurse to make sure that my nursing skills were were still sharp. And and you my general nursing skills were va- actually rehomed, I'll say. Um you don't, it's like riding a bike. You never really get off. In order to keep up with the latest and greatest because nursing and medicine changes so rapidly. Um, I think you do lose some. Obviously, you do. I have specialized in different areas, and so if you gave me a question on general nursing, I might have forgotten it because I've specialized in hemophilia, hepatitis, HIV, um, pulmonary. So that's where my my expertise is. And actually, it's sharp while I'm in the area, but when I move on from, like from pulmonary to hemophilia, I, I lose it. You lose it because you're so ingrained in the specialty that you're in. But never to fear. I mean, the opportunities that you're going to pick up or enhance are in different areas than bedside nursing or, or general nursing, I'll say. Mm. Um, so you will you will lose some. I'm not going. To, I'm not going to say you won't. For sure, you do. I, I did want to mention, though, that not only pharmaceuticals, but there's specialty pharmacy, there's managed care. There's so many opportunities out there for nurses that are beyond the hospital. Home care, hospice, as probably people are familiar with. People, nurses are CEOs. They're assistant executive directors. They're, you know, consultants, professors. I, th- I think mm-hmm. of the general public forgets that there are different levels of nursing. You know, there is there is an LPN, very valued. I was an LPN for 24 years. I considered mm. myself a nurse then. And then, you know, the associate RN level, the baccalaureate RN level, the, the master's level, as well as the PhD level. So I always put RN, BSN, so that people know which level of nurse I am. Right, I do the same. Yeah, thank you so much for encapsulating all of those aspects of nursing. We drive this home on RNFM Radio all the time, and to have you say it just means a lot because we get tired of saying it and people probably get tired of us saying it. Well, the interesting thing is, I, I think the interesting thing is I am the same person as I was as an LPN as I am currently. And um, mm-hmm. definitely I was put down as an LPN. My, my voice was not listened to at all. And yeah. I, I resented that. Yeah. I hear you on that. I used to teach as an adjunct professor in a community college in Massachusetts, Holyoke Community College. And I uh, taught for a few years to LPN 
program, and I'm still in touch with some of my students from that time and mm-hmm. have a really wonderful connection with them, and I value LPNs highly. I actually write for LPN to BSN online. I do. I write their blog, and oh, also... Yeah, and I work with LPNs, too, in one of my positions. So I know they're very important. They're a big part of the workforce, and we couldn't do what we do without them. And sometimes some of the registered nurses out there forget, or we just overlook LPNs. But we have to realize how much of the burden that they carry clinically. And now I just have to take a pause for the cause, because we did get a tweet on the tweet chat from Jason Romano saying... (laughs) Shout out to my mom, Road Warrior RN, being interviewed tonight on RNFM Radio. Great job, Mama. So he's there. <laughs> I knew he was there. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate that. It's nice to uh, get a little shout out when you're on the radio putting yourself on the line like this. So I hope I hope you feel relaxed enough that we're not grilling you here too much. Oh, no. I'm fine. I'm actually right. fine. Good. And I appreciate you sharing your personal story in the beginning about being a single mom because we know a lot of nurses out there who are single parents or we know nurses out there who aren't single parents but who are still struggling economically because of the slow rise in salaries and pay as opposed to the rise in the cost of living over the last I don't know, what would you say, 10 years, 20 years, even 30 years, that salaries haven't kept a pace with the economy in general. So that even nurses who are married or partnered and have spouses or or live in partners who work also really struggle, especially if they're raising children. That's right. That's right. And it's very sad to me that that we are not valued. Number one, do we value ourselves enough? It's very challenging because... Um, you know, they tried unions in hospitals, and they were basically overthrown, although there are some unions in hospitals that fight for nurses. But do they fight for nurses? That's the other question. So I, I don't know how to – I mean, I wish I could think of something that could actually bond us to be able to say, you know, we need better salaries for sure. Mm-hmm. We need better benefits. You know, and it's tough because hospitals aren't corporations. They're, some of them are – they're, they're suffering themselves financially. But um, I don't know. The whole health care system, I guess, needs an overhaul. <laughs> it does. And it's sure. happening in dribs and drabs, I guess, yeah. right now. And yeah. a lot of us are patient, and a lot of us are not very patient, especially when we're struggling to make ends meet. Yeah. And we un- and it, I, I appreciate you pointing out a lot of hospitals are struggling, and they're trying to figure out how to keep themselves afloat in this extremely competitive and volatile industry and with more and more regulation from Medicare and Medicaid and and the health insurance companies, it's really hard for them to manage and really keep the bottom line from dropping. Yeah, and our, you know, the aging baby boomers are really going to put quite a heavy impact onto that uh, system for sure. That's true. We talk about that on the show a lot. Kevin always teases me about using the silver tsunami (laughs) <laughs> a moniker, but it really fits in a lot of ways, doesn't it? But it is a big change, and I'm assuming that as that happens, and I mentioned this probably about 15 or 20 minutes ago, that with the aging population, the pharmaceutical industry is going to have to keep cranking out drugs and new treatments because we're keeping people alive longer. We're treating chronic diseases 
and taking diseases that used to kill people earlier and we're turning them into chronically manageable diseases. So that's the place where nurses can seize the opportunity, carpe diem, and look to industry and biotech as a potential place to earn a good living and do really good work. That's right. That's right. Absolutely right. Sure. And I can say you, you said that you've seen or you represent to some extent the soft side, so to speak, Mm-hmm. of the of the industry, you know, the caring side. And I can say my brother's been working in the pharmaceutical industry for many, many years, probably about 25 years mm-hmm. at least, maybe 30. He worked at NIH, he worked at Bristol-Myers, and now he's at a biotech, and he really cares about what he's doing. And his, mis- his mission in life is to create drugs that save people's lives or improve people's lives. So I've seen it in him. And I've seen it in some of his colleagues that I've met. I haven't met all of them, but some along the way. That That's what they really want to do. He loves the science, of course. He's a scientist, so he loves that aspect of it. But he, yeah. I believe, and many of his colleagues have their eyes on the prize. And the, eyes, and the prize is creating a drug that actually helps people. So I've seen that personally and really have a deep appreciation for that. Absolutely. We, can, we can't... Um criticize that, you know, I'm thinking from my business aspect here, that we are, we live in the United States. We have the ability to um, create competition and enterprise, and that's important to our culture. You know, it, it's, it's, it's hard because these big pharma are supposedly controlling or messaging or, you know, so to speak. They, it feels that way, but it's really not. It's Creating competition makes us, you know, we're not communists. We're not, we don't live under a dictatorship. We have the freedom to do that. And I think it's a very important part of our, our culture that we continue that. Um, and, it, and it actually strengthens, you know, the competition says, well, I've got a drug that will save people. And another company will come along and say, well, I do too, but I can save more people than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. Say, that's the way I or look my- at it. Right, or mine's, mine's the pro-drug and it has fewer side effects, or et cetera, et cetera. Exactly, exactly. Or mine, is, mine can be produced and sold for less money and it's less expensive and more accessible to those who, who need it. And I know we have generics. I mean, there's a patent on these drugs. They only last for so many years, and then the generic comes and it's much less expensive, for sure. Right, right. And we understand that, you know, we we a lot of us do complain about the cost of, pharmaceutical medications mm. and it's understandable because we're consumers and we need to be able to to make ends meet and we hear about seniors who are having to choose between say buying groceries and filling their prescriptions oh, yeah. and that's sad and that's that's the that comes more to the insurance companies and to the way that Medicare and Medicaid and all the insurance companies are regulated how we can help these people get the exactly. life-saving treatment that they need. My parents live on under $20,000 a year. Wow. And on, yeah, and they're, they're in their 80s, and their main focus is, is getting, you know, their medications, of course. And so as a family, we sort of help them with all their other needs, you know, so that they can afford their medications. It's not a burden to them. But I think that that's, and, and that's another conversation probably, but that families are more, um, uh, being called upon right now to to help their seniors more than ever, 
um, I think, personally, with finances as well as, um, you know, food and care. Is, That's is true. Right so, we, we might, right, so we may have a lot of people, you know, our age in their 40s or 50s or 60s who are have younger children or adult children moving back into the home because they can't make ends meet. And then they have their elderly parents moving in with them because they can't make ends meet either. And it's a very interesting time historically. And lucky for you, you've been able to maneuver your career in a way that you're able to make a good living. And you said you tripled your your income moving from direct care nursing to your current position. (laughs) And that's a really wonderful thing. It is, and and I, my father-in-law lives with us. He's 86, and then mm-hmm. I have an 86-year-old father and an 84-year-old mother, and I provide her her care, um, you know, her physical care as well as on the weekends. And you know, my family and I coordinate care so that they're taken care of and can live in their own home. Um, but that's a challenge, and it and I plan on moving in with Jason if Jason's living um, when I'm in my 80s. So. <laughs> Oh, you hear that, Jason? You might want to uh, <laughs> chime in here on the tweet chat and let us know what's going on. But <laughs> that's great. I'm just joking. Just joking. <laughs> oh, I, I understand. I understand. Now, we have a few minutes left, and I wanted to circle back a little bit and just ask you a couple questions that some of our listeners might be curious about if they're listening now or if they listen later. And um, what I'd like to know is what are the industries looking for, the pharmaceutical industry, the biotech, what are they looking for in nurses? If you're a nurse out there and you feel like, mm-hmm. okay, this is somewhere I might want to go, this is a direction I might want, you know, I might want that company car and the, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> all the benefits <laughs> and the really great pay that Linda's been able to manifest for herself. What do they need to put in their toolbox and on their resume to even get a foot in the door? Well, I think education is key, being able to speak to uh, physicians, number one. Number two, they love account management. I mean, I was hired in this position because I had account management skills, and I gained that by selling. We call it carrying the bag. Very basic. Uh, I didn't make triple my salary back then, but I basically got on the street and was able to sell. So they want that sales experience. Um, and, of course, I was just like probably many other women where I started selling Avon and Mary Kay cosmetics and Tupperware and all those, you know, getting my basic skills. But nurses really have all of these skills. We are great negotiators. We can, you know, if you've got to give a patient an injection that you've just met, um, say, in the buttocks, you know, you've got to be able to gain his trust, negotiate okay. with him that you're not going to hurt him. You know, all of those skills, you just have to be able to bring them out on your resume. Um, and and, and skill sets is really what they're looking at. But basically sales and account management or territory management, those are the two things if you want a top job in pharma or biotech for a nurse, for that nursing background, their ears are going to perk up when you say, I'm a nurse, for sure. Okay. I mean, that in itself. Speaks a lot, but but on your resume, you've got to really embellish those skills. How did okay. you use them? You know, I welcome anybody to look at my resume. Um, okay. Now, now when you when you're talking about sales and account management, mm-hmm. how 
what kind of experience would a nurse be able to to accumulate during his or her career in that regard? Well, that's I mean, I had to go into pharmaceuticals initially to sell. So I oh, I see. As a salesperson, I managed a small territory. I was able to make my um, goals, which basically they they set very high goals for you to meet when you're in a sales position, and you must achieve those on a regular mm-hmm. basis or exceed <laughs> okay. those goals. So that's that's really what they're looking for if you're going into um, a higher level sales position. But they're hiring more nurses because. And I don't know how many pharmaceutical representatives are listening, but basically we've created a mess out there with pharmaceutical sales. And they're la- they're laying off pharmaceutical sales like by the thousands. And they're looking at nurses for that clinical cell, that clinical relationship. So if I'm say I was a hemophilia nurse, um, and I know my hem- and I've and I've spoken nationally and I've gone out and um, done extra things besides just being a hemophilia nurse. They're going to look at that. Look, look at that resume. Volunteer is another great way to really um, flesh out that resume um, if you have time. And I know it's challenging sometimes, but um, you know, scout leadership, uh, anything, any community. I spoke on HIV when my son was in sixth grade. Um, I did interview talks. Um, anything that you can do to really stretch yourself a little bit um, helps. And, and in schools, sometimes that helps too. But they're looking for something beyond bedside nursing, for sure. Okay. Now, are they? when you say sales, I'm sure some of our listeners might roll their eyes and think, okay, not me, not me. Is Are there ways for nurses to make it into this industry without having to go the sales rep route? Is it possible? Yes. And that's the medical science liaison role. That is totally science-based. In fact, I was recently turned down for, for a position because I did not have, I have more of a commercial background within the biotech company. I don't have a science background. And so they're looking right. for CRAs. They're looking for somebody who can speak cl- to clinical studies, which mm-hmm. I can do, but um, I don't think I wanted it enough to tell you the truth. <laughs> probably could have right. put myself in that position if I wanted to. And it also depends on your competition. If I'm coming in behind you and you're just trying to get into the industry, somebody like me might take, you know, they might hire me because I've had the experience. And so it's very tough, like with anybody, any position, how do you get in without experience? And I know Jason would tell you how he got experience at his current position was he basically volunteered for his first job. And sometimes you've got to volunteer for something that you're not going to get paid for just to get that experience. And some nurses would actually volunteer within the industry? Um, they could um, as a consultant. And I did this myself. And when I was in hemophilia, they well, they actually, I didn't volunteer. They paid me to speak to, to pharmaceutical reps to understand what my job was and role was. That's when I first got an inkling as to what it was that they really wanted to hear from me. How to sell yourself. You need to package yourself and how to sell yourself. And that's a talent in itself sometimes. Sure. Okay. Yeah, and I would assume public speaking skills would be really helpful too in terms Mm -hmm. of going out. If you're going to do education, you really want to be personable and be able to communicate well and connect with people on that personal and professional level like you do every day. Yes, you have to learn to listen, too. I think that was my hardest skill to learn was to listen because, as anybody who knows me knows, I love to chat and talk. 
And um, listening was probably the hardest skill I needed to to learn in that respect. Right. And I and I failed. I mean, I love to public speak. My husband thinks that I'm a champion in that. But I have gotten up in front of people, especially especially in my aging um, years. I've forgotten what I wanted to say, or I've, you know, it doesn't come out the way I wanted it to come out. So. I think I'm a great public speaker at times, but nobody's perfect all the time. And, and I think if you, even if you fail at something, you need to know how to get back up again and pull yourself by the bootstraps and say, you know, apologize or move on. You know, it, it doesn't defi- don't let it define you. Your failures for sure. Oh, you're so right. You're so right. I mean, doing this show, this is our 51st show, and Kevin and I have done plenty of flubs and tripping over words, and I often say things, even tonight I've said things that, oh, I could have said that a little differently, but I don't really worry about it too much, and people keep listening, so we don't flub up enough to drive our listeners away, so that's a really nice thing. Well, I I think that's what this thing brings. We bring humanity to everything. Right, right. I mean, we could be robots here on the show, you know, being perfect okay. all the time, and you know, but I'm, you know, or we could be the Walter Cronkites of of nursing and nurse radio, but we're not quite there, but we're getting there. But I appreciate <laughs> you you talking about how these are the you might say softer skills. There's the scientific aspect, you know, the the clinical expertise and the scientific and chemistry background that could really help you here. But then you're also saying volunteering for your local scout troop or speaking locally and at the library or whatever it is you do out there still feeds your resume and feel, feeds your ability to fulfill these roles on various levels. And your confidence. I think that's you know, half of the battle is your confidence to be able to step out of your comfort zone, so to speak. Mm, right, exactly. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, that's really important. And like you said a few minutes ago, it's important not to let our failures define us. And we really need to just use those to educate us and let us know, you know, where the next step is, where the next the growth edges, where we need to push ourselves a little bit more. And it sounds like through your career, you've pushed yourself a lot. You started out as a single mom and you raised your sons and you created a career for yourselves where you could triple your income and really create a whole new lifestyle for yourself that you could have your dream job and and do something that you really love. And it sounds like you're very, very satisfied with that. I am, but I'm not done yet, Keith. <laughs> Good. That's great. And next for next for you is the is a PhD, right? Probably yes. Yes, I'm okay. hoping so. Wonderful. And you did mention I just before we go, I wanted to just go back one more time. You mentioned something about starting your own entrepreneurial venture. And mm-hmm. could you just speak to that what that might look like? Well, um, my dream, actually, is because we have aging baby boomers, and I think nurses are so valued, um, my dream would be to have um, three suites of services. And I don't know if anybody's heard of a doula before, and this is what gave, actually gave me the idea. My, my mom was diagnosed with cancer, or anybody who's diagnosed with a catastrophic disease needs somebody to kind of advocate for them. So here's an idea. Anybody can run with it if they want to. So 
advocacy by a nurse for a short period of time, and so maybe a year, which is what my mom went through. She was just devastated. Where do I turn? Who do I go to? How do I get treatment? What decisions should I make? Um, I helped her out with that, and then after a year, she was able to go back to making her own health care decisions. So that's part of the, the suite of services that I was thinking of for my own business at some point. And then the next service would be to accompany seniors to physicians' offices. And I'm talking about people who are incapable of advocating for themselves. So if you live on the West Coast and your mom lives on the East Coast and she's 90-some-odd years old, but still pretty independent, you would like somebody like me or a nurse to take her to her physician's offices, advocate for her, follow up the next day to make sure that, you know, she understands what she's supposed to do, is she following up like the doctor told her to, and that nurse would be taking on that case so she could schedule the doctor's offices around her time. So say she's a stay-at-home mom, she could actually schedule, you know, her cases that way. Hmm. That's sort of the beginning idea of my business idea as well as having a smart card, which is basically a lock to the medical records so that, you know, only certain physicians have access to that. So mm-hmm. if I'm getting a CBC done one day and then I go to another physician, because seniors go to many physicians, that second physician can access that blood work, even if it's not in the same within the same medical system. They're sort of creating that now, but, you know, that was my initial entrepreneur idea. Great. Wow, wonderful ideas. Now, do you feel like you would train nurses to work for you to go and accompany these seniors to their appointments so you would kind of create an agency that would provide that service? That's right. Wow, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, And and franchise it. (laughs) Yeah. Throughout the the country, yeah. And then have Medicare, once you've proven that it's valuable and you're saving healthcare costs and have Medicare pay for it, you know, initially it's it's a challenge because you'd have to have paying customers. Exactly. But I think there are going to be many, many families who would be thrilled to have this sort of service. Mm-hmm. I think it's a wonderful okay. idea. You know, right here in Santa Fe, my wife is working privately just helping a local family, their friends, and she's helping mm-hmm. manage the care of her senior parents because mm-hmm. our friends our friends live about an hour and a half away, so they need a little bit of help, and they hired my wife to come in and just help manage the care, make the appointments, hire the private caregivers, just to get that extra layer of care that seniors exactly. need. Mm-hmm. So that's wonderful, and, and that's one of the innovative solutions and ideas that we'd like to talk about on the show because nurses are always ask, asking us and talking about, okay, how can I go out there and do something a little different but still use my nursing skills and leverage my the trust that being a nurse engenders in other people. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, well, when you want to launch that, when you want to get that started, just let us know and we'll have you back on the show so we can talk about your new um your new venture. Oh, thank you. I will. Sure, that would be great. And, you know, you can write about it and we'll post it on our blog or whatever you'd like to do. So we'd love to have you back on when that idea starts to germinate or you want to talk about it a little bit more. That would be really fun. Okay, thank you. Sure. 
Well, Linda, thank you so much for being on the show. I want to let people know that they can connect with you on Twitter, and you are at RN. That's at RN. And is there anywhere else they could find you, or is that the best place? That's the best place they can find me right now. Okay, that's great. And I know when they connect with you there, you would have to approve it. So you're you're sort of a pre-approval tweeter out there. So <laughs> people just have to be patient to get approved. I hope I did so I can exchange tweets with you. I'll check my Twitter inbox later on. Okay, sounds great. Okay. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thanks for staying up late with us and being on the show. I really appreciate it. All right. Okay, good night. Well, folks, that was a great conversation that really opened up a whole new area of inquiry for us here at RNFM Radio. We've never talked about the pharmaceutical industry. We've never talked about the biotech industry and what's out there for nurses. And what really has intrigued me about Linda in the conversations we've had over the last few months since we first met through LinkedIn is the number of opportunities for nurses there. So there are clinical trials that nurses can help to run. There are pharmaceutical rep positions where you actually go out and do the sales, which I know a lot of us wouldn't be really thrilled about. But it sounds like from Linda, there's a lot of different opportunities. The sales isn't necessarily the only entry-level position there is. And she did, just to recap, say that any skills that you can accumulate around public speaking, around time management, around account management, around management of groups and individuals who work for you or, or in in various clinical or non-clinical settings is really important. She also stressed that even volunteering out in your community and really building up your resume for all of those different skills is are really important ways to leverage yourself into this industry. And it sounds like most of the positions out there in the pharmaceutical industry and the biotech industry for nurses are really held or or are um, contracted by these contracting companies that actually don't run the studies, but actually hire the nurses to go out and do the work. So that's very important to know. And if there's any information that you would like, I'm sure you could connect with Linda on Twitter, and she is at RN, so you could find her out there. Or you can also write to me, Casey at NurseKeith.com, or you can write Insider at RNFMRadio.com. You can always contact us or contact us on Twitter or Facebook and we'll try to get your questions to Linda if you have information that you'd like to glean from her if you're really interested in this. And again, I wanted to thank Andrew, Nurse Friendly. He's been out there running the tweet chat for us. I really appreciate that, Andrew. You're a great friend and you've been such a supporter of us since since we started in January of 2012. So thank you so much for being out there, Andrew. We greatly appreciate it. And I want to send out another shout-out to Kevin Ross, my wonderful co-host, his family, his mom, as they're 
dealing with this situation with his mom and her illness and we really send our best to them. They're in our thoughts and in our hearts every day. Kevin and I have been in touch over this last week and he wanted to be here tonight, but it really wasn't the best for him and his family for him to be on the show. So we gave him a pass and I imagine he'll be back next week. Now, speaking of next week, we have a really fun guest for the 25th of February. That's one week from today, and that'll be Sophie DeMauro. She is a registered nurse and a children's book author, and she has created her own publishing company and her own line of books with her uh, special illustrator who illustrates all her books, so they all have the same really cute and lovely look. And the books are really to guide children through various diagnostic medical procedures. So there's a CAT scan book, an MRI book, a blood draw book, and she's working on a whole other line of books for medical procedures and surgical procedures, I believe. So they're really lovely. We will try to have some images that we can tweet out through tweet pick next week so that we can tweet out the images of the covers of her book so you can see them and we'll also make sure that you can see her website and maybe browse through some of the books if she has any parts of the interiors or illustrations that you can see so we're very excited about that those books have been a big hit at kevin's house with his boys and we'll be really excited to talk about our first nurse author who's actually a children's book author rather than an author who's writing books for adults now, on March 4th, we just were communicating with Susan Katz-Slitsky. She is a doctor of nursing practice, so she'll be talking about the DNP designation and what that means for the nursing profession. Doctors of nursing practice are really the up-and-coming advanced practice nurses that's the next level beyond the master's degree, and it's somewhat controversial, I think, for some in the medical profession in the American Medical Association. However, doctors of nursing practice are here to stay. So we're really happy to have Susan on the 4th of March to talk about the DNP and what it really means to our profession. And finally, on the 11th of March, that's three weeks from today, we will have three board members from the American College of Nurse Midwives, the ACNM, and they'll be talking about their latest initiatives around women's health and birth in the United States. So that's a subject we haven't spent a lot of time on here on the show either. So we'll be really excited about that too. So thank you very much for listening tonight. We wanted to make sure that you know that you can always find us on Facebook at RNFM Radio. It's facebook.com slash RNFM Radio. We post there all the time. And on Twitter, we are at RNFM Radio. Kevin is at Innovative Nurse on Twitter and also InnovativeNurse.com and Facebook. He's also there, Innovative Nurse. And he's on Google Plus a lot these days too, so you can always find Kevin there. Now for me, you can find me at NurseKeith.com for my coaching practice working with nurses. And I just wanted to say that I am putting together a new group coaching package. The group coaching is going to start probably the first week of April, right around April Fool's Day. 
and it'll be a three-month group coaching program for four or five nurses who'd like to work with me in a group setting. We'll be meeting every week by phone, a conference call that will be recorded, and then there'll be one private session with me per month for each participant, and it's going to be very reasonably priced and a really exciting venture. So if any of you are interested in group coaching with three or four other nurses and myself, it's going to be great. And I really invite you to get in touch with me. So you can go to nursekeep.com, sign up for my newsletter, or you can email me right through the website and chat with me about group coaching or individual coaching. And also Nurse Keith Coaching on Facebook. And on Twitter, I am at Nurse Keith. So those are all the different ways you can find us. We will be back next week on the 25th with Sophie DeMaro, the wonderful nurse author who's going to treat us with talking about how she decided to start writing children's books as a nurse. So we're very excited about that. And again, another shout out and thank you to Nurse Friendly. And our hearts are with Kevin and his family, and we hope Kevin will be back with us next week. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful week, and we will see you soon. 